Deadwood Soundwell. You have found Dirt Maps, a tributary to the Real War Project, a podcast about the narrative, affective, and production politics of war cinema. In today's episode, we talk to Andrew Rakich from Atunche Films, which you can find on YouTube. We talk about historical inaccuracies in war movies. What does it take to make an anti-war movie? And the new video games that we are playing that are based on war movies. If you want more Dirt Maps, you can look for The Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project, wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Andrew Rakich is a New Orleans-based filmmaker and educator who runs the YouTube channel Atun Shea Films, best known for recurring series such as Checkmate, Lincolnites, The Witchfinder General, and Frozen 50s Man. Atun Shea Films covers a wide variety of topics and formats, but above all else endeavors to present public history in a cinematic and irreverent way. Andy, thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to The Real War Project. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. We've both been kind of watching your channel for quite a while now. Would you briefly just like to describe yourself, your research uh, interests to our audience? Sure. I mean, I think you did a pretty good job of it, which, you know, is what I told you to say. Uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. So uh, as far as like my personal interests, uh, you know, I I mainly cover American history because I have a fascination with uh, with sort of uh, uh, with place, I find history much more interesting and, and accessible if I know the location or the environment in which it occurred. I mostly do American history, almost all east of the Mississippi, because that's just where I've lived in my life. Um, you know, I'm from New England originally, and uh, and now I live in the Deep South. So typically, that's sort of the history that I'm that I'm drawn to is you know kind of where I grew up and 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 where I live now. The Civil War is uh, obviously, as you guys probably know, an interest of mine. I've done a considerable amount of of traveling. Uh, across the battlefields. I worked at Gettysburg uh, National Military Park for a summer uh, for the 150th anniversary. So I have a, a big connection with uh, especially the specifically the Eastern theater of, of the uh, American Civil War. Uh, so uh, so yeah, so those are the topics that I mostly kind of focus on. But uh, really, I'm just kind of interested in, uh, you know, nerdy shit. Uh, I hope I can swear. Heck yeah, you can. Uh, yeah, I have every damn day. So yeah, so mostly that's those are my interests. And that's uh, what I tend to focus on. A lot of your work is about like movies. And I would say that in many ways, you kind of demystify movies, you, you, you take some of the fiction out, you put some of the history in, in a lot of different ways. Why is it important for you to talk about movies in this way? So I guess that uh, sort of depends on what you mean by by demystify. Do you mean sort of like uh, sort of the historical accuracy like you were alluding to? Or are you talking about like on a more like technical cinematic level or both? It's a complex word where I come from. And yeah, I think both of those would be applicable to how I use it for sure. Sure. Uh, I kind of differ from a lot of history nerds and history educators in that I I really, you know, I don't mind uh, historically inaccurate movies. uh, now I've, I, I used to take kind of a, a harder stance. I made a video about it a couple of years ago and I took a pretty hard stance on it. I, I think I, if I, uh, uh, if I made that video again today, I'd probably walk a few things that I said back, uh, cause I, I found myself kind of more on the historian side of the issue, uh, these days more, more so than the filmmaker, uh, side. But, you know, that said, you know, I, I do kind of consider myself a filmmaker first, right? I mean, that's my trade. That's, uh, what I was educated in, that's, I've been doing that a hell of a lot longer than I've been doing historical education. Uh, so, um, uh, yeah, so I honestly kind of, you know, take the point of view that if, if a movie is, is cool and well-made and good, then, um, uh, then who cares if it's inaccurate? Uh, now, uh, I, I guess I do see, um, I do think there's, there's sort of levels of that, right? There's certain, inaccuracies that are that are fairly harmless and there are uh, certain inaccuracies that can't be very harmful um you know uh, if we want to use uh, as an example two uh, mel gibson movies uh, braveheart sons of scotland i am william wallace william wallace is seven feet tall yes i've heard kills men by the hundred and if he were here he'd consume the english with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his arse <laughs> 
I would consider to be now I, I I've heard differently from from Scottish and British people so uh, I do <laughs> I I don't I'm not super you know I don't I'm not I don't have a close connection to this history like a lot of uh, people do but uh, I would I think that Braveheart is a spectacularly inaccurate movie but I think uh, the vast majority of the inaccuracies are pretty harmless um, I don't think that it really matters if the general movie going uh, population thinks that William Wallace uh, wore a kilt and blue face paint, uh, even though those are just laughable uh, inaccuracies. I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. Uh, but, uh, you know, but uh, then you take another Mel Gibson movie, uh, The Patriots. <laughs> Uh, which is uh, full of nationalism and, uh, uh, and, and you know, sort of masturbatory American rah-rah myth-making, uh, not to mention, you know, um, as a buddy of mine, uh, Brandon F., uh, pointed out in his uh, multi-part, an excellent multi-part review of The Patriot on YouTube, uh, there's often a lot of uh, extremely... Uh, quite, uh, uh, you know, sort of in terms of gender and in terms of race, some really quite, quite harmful and uh, and and insulting uh, inaccuracies uh, that are about, you know, it's not about petty stuff like material culture. It's about uh, uh, very weighty, important things. Charlotte was an exception for so many rules of the 18th century. She was a single, wealthy, landowning woman. But the filmmakers, it would seem, were only interested in two of those traits: her being a single woman. Occam, in fighting for the American revolutionary cause, is also fighting for freedom. That he should be there, and that he's doing good. Instead of having effectively no choice in this matter and being forced to fight as a slave soldier for a cause that has almost nothing to do with him. No, no, no. He's there for a good cause. He should be there. This is a good thing. I was absolutely thinking that same thing when I was because I saw your video initially responding to it about the Patriot. Yeah, yeah. Where you a, a very old video, and and I thought, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's most people disagree with me about that. So I mean, feel feel free to tell me I'm wrong because uh, yeah, that's not well, a no, super because, popular opinion. I mean, because, you know, it's not a yeah yeah. I'm not like standing up to it, but you know, it's whatever. It's not like, oh, I'm the only one who can spit the truth, you know. It's it's not like that at all. It's just I have an opinion and most other history nerds disagree with me. So, you know, it's not See, like, we booked you yeah. to be the person with the truth. So this is really disappointing to hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. All yeah. The I know, yeah, yeah. Well, My I don't God, want to uh, disagree with you because I want you to come back on the show. And so... Oh, sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I will... You, Yeah, the only way you'll get me back is if you just kiss my ass uh, for an hour and a half. Absolutely. That's just the only way that, you know... So, you're very handsome and smart, and you made all of these videos that get uh, suggested to me on YouTube. And so I, I find it very interesting because you you seem to be balancing um, the historical side, but also an entertainment side. Right, sure, yeah. And that's a thing that I've been wondering about on this show. Uh, we watch three movies at a time, and then we we look back on them and try to tie them together yeah. in a very interesting film school way. One of the things is that my friend Aaron here hasn't seen a lot of these movies. Hmm. Ravenous is a very good, important movie to me that says very fascinating, interesting things about Manifest Destiny, which I don't think a lot of our movies say. I'm sending you to California, Fort Spencer. We have four missing soldiers, Captain, and no bodies. We need a supportable explanation. Yeah, sure. John Aaron did see the trailer, but I have been wondering... What am I going to group this up with with two other movies? Like if this is going to be the cherry on the top mm. of something else, what would it be? And this is not something I expect you to answer right off the bat, but maybe something that if you have suggestions at the end, if you were going to put together a triple feature. Yeah. Uh, that's a, you know, that's a good question. You know, there's a couple ways you could do it. You could sort of take the revisionist Western route and, and pair it with something like Little Big Man. Between 1858 and 1878, Jack Crabb was an Indian warrior, a preacher's ward, a gunfighter, a drunkard, a hermit, and he tried to kill General Custer. Take him away and hang him. And you can believe as much of that as you want. Dustin Hoffman plays Jack Crabb. Throw three. And he plays him for real. After real, after real, after real. 
my little big man. You know, that sort of is about sort of westward expansion and 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 kind of looks at things from, you know, not necessarily the like Native American point of view, but a point of view that is uh, uh, extremely sympathetic to the plight of natives out west. Uh, mm-hmm. You could also just straight up pair it with cannibalism movies. I could see it going well with Alive. Mother of God, no! Obviously, a meaty dish like this needs a nice, strong wine to accompany it. Uh, and uh, no, but uh, yeah, yeah, like Alive or another cannibal movie like that. Cannibal the Musical. <laughs> I mean. That, that that could work with it but yeah i mean that's probably what i would do but yeah i mean there's definitely there's a couple sort of angles in which you can attack that for sure we just recently watched um watched three i mean we've always just recently watched three movies it is our it is our toil it's our lot in life and uh we just watched zulu siege of Jadoville and then 13 hours the siege of Jadoville is that the uh the sequel to the 1964 Zulu? Uh, Siege of Shadow. No, I wish. No, Zulu Dawn is the uh, is the sequel slash oh, yeah, yeah, prequel yeah, yeah, yeah. to Zulu. Yeah, and it's about the big Indolzwana battle. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a yeah. recent movie um, about the Irish in the Congo um, doing a last stand. Okay. But it has a bunch of action movie ish type stuff. Mm. Um, it repeats some things of Zulu in which they're mowing down waves of black people. Sure. Even though the Irish in the movie, um, the Irish filmmakers villainize the Americans and imply that we shot down the UN ambassador. Weird. And then we watched 13 Hours, which was totally bonkers, but kind of a fun action movie. Yeah. Very exciting and well made, but implies some very harmful things and uh, and came out at a very politically hmm. charged time. And so it's like, I wonder, as a filmmaker... What do you, and a filmmaker and storyteller, like when you're telling a historical story, if you yeah. want to tell like a battle story that you've been imagining in your head, mm-hmm. how do you balance those two things, the historical stuff and the things that you kind of want to see that are cool? Yeah. I mean, well, it's all about tone, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, if you're going to make an action movie, make an action movie. If you're going to make a war movie, make a war movie. Uh, I was recently watching a YouTube review uh, of Saving Private Ryan. Uh, by this cat uh, called Macabre Storytelling is the channel's name. Uh, and uh, and he was basically sort of, uh, there was a lot of interesting things about the review, but uh, one of the things that I, I really thought was funny was the original script of Saving Private Ryan was written by Robert Rodat, who wrote The Patriot. And uh, so uh, early drafts of the script are, you know, like it's it's uh, uh, Captain Miller in the, in the D-Day lander you know, and, and they're, they're heading toward the beach and like, um, and, and there's a soldier saying like, we're all going to die. And, and in the script, Miller says like, ah, no, we won't, you know, two thirds tops. And then he like lights a cigar and then he like comes out going, oh my God, I kind of wish I had seen that. And it's, yeah, apparently it was supposed to be like the Patriot. It was supposed to be like a vaguely, a, a, a very, uh, nationalistic, uh, vaguely historical action movie. (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, but Hey, listen, like, uh, everything in moderation, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? I mean, it's, it's if you're gonna if you're gonna have an action movie, have an action movie. I mean, there's another mm-hmm. thing like, right, like uh, uh, like Django, right? Like Django kind of comes at it from another sort of uh, 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 angle in terms of perspective, right? It's not like it. It certainly is not rah rah America, but it is. You know, it's the violence is so ridiculous and so silly. And just like so cinematic and stylized that, you know, you can go, woo, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I think there's like a place for that, right? I mean, nobody's shedding tears for General Vogel toppling off of the cliff in the tank in uh, Last Crusade. If it's an action movie, we can see uh, hundreds of people get murdered in cold blood and be cheering the whole time. But we understand that it's a fantasy, right? We understand that it's a heightened sort of reality. If you're going to make a war movie, I think that like in order to make an effective one uh, that actually says something about 
war and and about uh, humanity, uh, then you have to come at it with a lot more nuance and and a lot more terror and and fear and 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 pain. Uh, and and you can't uh, deal with these issues lightly in the way that you would with an action movie. And and it's and it's a question of just finding one tone and sticking with it. There seems like a difference in, in what you're describing between like like little nitpicks and things, and often what are like strategic misrememberings of history. Like 100%, nationalist yeah. propaganda is going to be very strategic. Yeah. When it comes to civil war films, there's this whole like lost cause myth haunting everything that gets constructed. Yeah. And I feel like understanding the vocabulary of those strategic misrememberings, it would have to be really important for a filmmaker when it comes to telling the story. Cause we watched glory (laughs) and we talked about how glory erases a medal of honor winner, how glory does a whole, you know, it just totally like stylizes Robert Goulshaw's racism and it really glorifies war in a lot of like literally makes war religious experience. And that's all bad, and I'm pretty upset about that. Sure. But that's very different from the kind of just overt apologetic for the so-called heritage of the South that has nothing yeah. to do with flagrant white supremacy. You're, are you in the same yeah. camp here? Is this kind of how you see this? Yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting. Yeah, and, and you, you, you said that about glory via email, which I thought was really interesting because, like, you're right. It does, it does glorify war, um, and it does sort of like. Uh, and you know, and I think that like, and listen, you know, I'm, I'm a union man through and through. I'm very glad that the union won Lincoln and Liberty forever. You know, I'm behind that cause hundred percent. Uh, however, let's not forget (laughs) that, you know, uh, a lot of slave catchers in the antebellum period wore blue. Uh, the federal government, uh, accidentally fell on the right side of history during the civil war, really because they had common cause with, uh, it wasn't out of the kindness of their heart necessarily. You know, now you could look at individuals like Abraham Lincoln and, you know, you see somebody who, you know, was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. None of us are, but somebody whose heart was very evidently in the right place. Take individuals out of it as as a system. The federal government tried to preserve slavery until it couldn't possibly anymore. You know, uh, you, you look at a lot of the the stories. Uh, I've been looking a lot at uh, at stories of, of slave stealers, which are really interesting and kind of cool. Uh, and a lot of it is uh, like there's this one guy in particular uh, who was from Massachusetts, who was the uh, merchant captain, I think. And he was a very staunch abolitionist and a political radical. And he went to Florida uh, and basically landed on a beach somewhere and went to the nearest um, uh, plantation and and said to a bunch of slaves, hey, like, we're leaving, you know, come with me if you want to go uh, uh, up to New England, you know, or up to Canada. Or he just hadn't, you know, he was going someplace else. Or no, he was going to the Bahamas because it was a British uh, colony at the time and, and, and Britain had outlawed slavery. So he's like, let's go to the Bahamas. You want to be British subjects? Let's go. And they were like, uh, yeah, let's do it. So they go and they get chased by the United States Navy. And, uh, um, and, uh, this, this captain who was the only guy on the ship who knew how to sail, I guess, uh, or, you know, maybe he had like a tiny crew, but, uh, like, I guess the, the crew were like amateurs or something. And, uh, but he got like horribly sick with some sort of fever and he like could not get out of bed. So basically his crew was just incompetent and, uh, and none of these, uh, enslaved people have any idea how to sail a ship. So they were just like, "Eh, don't look at us. And uh, so the Navy caught up with them and, you know, and it was, you know, guys in blue, it was agents of the government who branded this guy with SS for slave stealer on his hand. Um, so, you know, let's, let's not forget, uh, you know, that it's, um, uh, you know, the, the, even at the, the side that's, that's the kind of on the right side of history, you know, right. It's, it's never black and white. There's always nuance to everything. And, you know, um, and let's not just sort of, uh, of all entities, let's not, uh, uh just say United States government. Good. Uh, <laughs> I want a Harper's Ferry movie bad. And it's not just yeah, because yeah, I yeah, want to exactly. see Robert E. Lee wearing a blue uniform, you know, it's because yeah, that's exactly, an important dude. history yeah, exactly. moment. You get it? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a freaking image. And with a mustache and that, cause that was before he went gray too. He went almost entirely gray in 1860. And he dapper Robert E. Lee, so, not Grand yeah, Lee, so, yeah. but the dapper Dan. Yeah. Yeah. But the dapper, sexy, young Robert <laughs> right. E. Lee. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, so in any case, sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but yeah, so, so, you know, and, and yeah, glory, I think kind of like plays to that, right? Mm-hmm. It sort of is, 
it's kind of this uh, this liberal fantasy of like, yeah, we're going to get in the blue uniform and and with the benevolent government at our backs, we're going to stick it to those racists, you know, and and uh, that's not how the, the world works at all. Uh, but uh, on the other side of the coin, right, you, you do have the uh, the the often explicitly uh, racist uh, and and uh, very often implicitly racist. Um, uh, lost cause sort of uh, tradition in cinema. Gone, Gone with the Wind, of course, is, is a really uh, big example of this. Though, you know, Gone with the Wind also, you know, I, I don't think, I think sort of blanketing uh, Gone with the Wind as just purely a lost cause film is is a little unfair. I think it's very much of its time. And I do think that, and, and also I think there's, you know, I mean, uh, Rhett Butler uh, is a very skeptical of the Confederate cause and, you know, basically tells uh, everybody to their faces, this is fucking dumb and we're going to lose. Uh, so, you know, I, I, de- I definitely think it, it there's there's nuance there as well. I just watched it again the other day. I enjoy it so much. Certainly we see it in, uh, you know, a, 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 one of uh, my most popular YouTube videos is just me shitting on this movie called Gods and Generals, which... Uh, it's great. It's worth. Oh well, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of people do. I'm not. A, I'm not a gigantic. If I if I could do it again, I would have. I would make that video much differently. But uh, um, but but it is funny. I mean, <laughs> but it's also a very easy target. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's like shooting. It's like getting a bullseye with a with an M1 Garand from three feet away. You know what I mean? It's like it's such an easy target. It's it's almost like uh, you know I don't know. But there's so few union movies. I feel like because I've been trying to compile yeah. movies for this for this project, yeah. and it's like. The only people who seemingly are making Civil War movies are lost cause Confederate people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a lot of that is just because of the the memory of the Civil War is so much stronger with lost cause Confederate people. Um, now, uh, yeah, I mean, there's there there are you know there are good uh, Civil War movies from the perspective of the Union. Uh, the um, Red Badge of Courage is a really good one from 1941. Uh, no, 1951. Um, uh, starring uh, Audie Murphy, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. it's only like an hour long, uh, but it's a great movie, and uh, yeah, and and doesn't uh, uh, and and does not glorify the war or the cause at all. Um, but it is, you know, a a you know, I think it's very kind of Band of Brothersy, or you know, I mentioned uh, Saving Private Ryan. I think sort of it's like Saving Private Ryan in its grittier moments, uh, sort of minus the Spielberg schmaltz. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it is a lot like that, you know, obviously kind of dated, you know, early fifties. So, you know, not, uh, uh, you know, you're not going to see like crazy effects or whatever, but it is like a very simple, very powerful story about just like an average soldier on the battlefield. Um, and, uh, yeah, so th- they are out there, but you're right. I mean, there is, there is definitely a, um, there is definitely a bit of a focus from the Confederate perspective and, and on lost cause things. And, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of that just kind of comes down to, uh, how widespread the lost cause uh, has gotten, and you know, I mean, and 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 there's reasons for that, right? Reconciliatory reasons. Um, you know, a lot of Confederates uh, themselves trying to save face after the war. Um, you know, a, a lot of uh, uh, very legitimate, you know, generational uh, uh, trauma. You know, uh, uh, on behalf of Southern civilians and, and Southern veterans, uh, or I shouldn't say Southern uh, Confederate. Uh, so, you know, of, of just the horrors of war and of, of unspeakable, you know, uh, violence and destruction for, you know, ultimately what was universally regarded after the fact as like a really shitty cause <laughs> and, uh, and a really like bad effort at rebellion. Um, so, you know, th- th- there was, uh, certainly a very understandable reason why people would, why, why Southerners, uh, uh, why, why white Southerners, I guess, uh, would want to, uh, you know, whitewash that memory for sure. So, and that just kind of, and, and a lot of Northerners just kind of accepted that, not all of them uh, by any means, but a lot of Northerners just kind of accepted that as sort of the price of reconciliation, right? You know, they didn't want to, you know, nobody wanted to think of uh, their fellow countrymen as their enemies anymore. You know, it was uh, so, um, and yeah, that, that it did kind of dominate a lot of the historiography of the 20th century, like to be sure. Um, I saw something in the news saying that monuments, maybe in Pennsylvania, maybe you know something about this, are changing phrasing to refer to the Confederates as like enemy forces, because that's a vocabulary nice. that we always tiptoed around. Yeah. And Charles and I talk a lot about kind of what you're saying not just atrocity but also fragility and wanting to misremember you know horrific acts of systemic privilege that the north as you say benefited from just as much right like that's everybody has an interest in in forgetting this part of our history yeah well i don't even think it's necessarily sort of their uh 
um, uh, you know, I, th- I think certainly that's probably an element of it, but I, I think a lot of it was just the the uh, was the actual war, right? It wasn't even necessarily them sort of uh, wanting to whitewash slavery, but it was them sort of searching for meaning uh, and 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 also manhood, right? And also recovering their honor uh, as a defeated and disgraced uh, uh, rebellion. You know, um, as the uh, civil rights efforts of Reconstruction, you know, failed. Um, uh, they did fail, but they were still considerable, and 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 you know, uh, uh, black Americans were regarded as uh, second class citizens, but as citizens, right? And so there was sort of this among ex Confederates and their children, there was this kind of undeniable idea of like, okay, these are people, right? These are people. They you know knew they were like humans, but you know, it's sort of these are these are fellow citizens, right? And so it wasn't the there was a, a, a even in the antebellum years and a lot of the. Uh, debates about uh, slavery. Uh, the the pro slavery side would often say, you know, this is for the benefit of of these people. You know that they are enslaved for their benefit. This is it, it would be a lot worse for them if they were free. Uh, and uh, and and that kind of uh, that argument line of thinking kind of endured, but it also kind of transformed after abolition because you know now they are free and sort of they became like, see, see, you know, they're doing really badly. Uh, and of course, it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, it's sort of that Eric Andre thing, right? Where, you know, you have sort of the, um, uh, sort of upper class of, of, uh, Southerners, you know, uh, these disenfranchised former Confederates, you know, shooting, um, uh, Hannibal Burress on the on the, the couch, and then wondering like, why are black people so bad, uh, doing so badly now? It's goddamn Lincoln, you know. Uh, uh, of course, these were sort of self fulfilling prophecies because you know uh, they were oppressing their underclass, you know. Uh, so that's why they were doing so badly, is they couldn't vote. Uh, they, uh, you know, ex Confederates uh, and their children wanted political power, and they wanted to, which ultimately they succeeded at through you know voter uh, fraud and and. Uh, terrorism and you know all that kind of stuff do you remember your first war movie no no Mm. i do not do you have what you would describe as a favorite war movie and if so like why is it your favorite um you know that is a good question i mean you know well i think and i've talked about this in the video too but i think come and see probably uh my favorite war movie haven't seen it yet yeah it's I've been avoiding it because of everything i have heard about it yeah yeah it's pretty it's uh it's pretty gnarly um but you know i think that's kind of uh the point yeah uh, honestly I, I think kind of war movies should be like torture porn to be perfectly honest with you uh uh yeah i don't uh, you know i think that's almost kind of the purest kind of war movie One of the things we talk a lot about in terms of glorifying war is the soundtrack. And Charles and I hypothesized what happens if you put the soundtrack from the charge at the end of glory over the moment in Saw when the person's cutting their arms <laughs> off. It just doesn't work, right? That's where we're like, yeah, oh, yeah, we're yeah, glorifying yeah, yeah. this moment. That's what we're doing. We're making this into something that maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> You mentioned that it's like a horror movie, yeah. and we've we've been talking about the, like how a war movie is is meeting a bunch of people that we like and then killing them off in horrible ways, like a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Except they kind of make it yeah. like you never come out of a Jason movie saying like God, I wish I got to fight Jason. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. If only yeah, we had exactly. a few more people, we could have beaten <laughs> yeah. the Jasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, totally. Well, I think that there's a lot of um, yeah. I mean, I mean, listen. You know, you have like. You know, you you look at uh, at a movie like Fury, which which has its problems. Uh, however, what I really like about Fury is uh, how it kind of takes arguably the most justified war in human history, probably one of the only justified wars in human history. Mm-hmm. We had to stop Germany and Japan; they sucked really hard, uh, and they needed to go down. Uh, so you know that. So I think most people can agree. Uh, at least most people whose opinions matter uh, can agree that World War II was a necessary war. But you, but you know, I, what I loved about how Fury sort of portrayed things was you kind of watch it and you see it from the ground and you see how uh, just bloodthirsty uh, and jaded and inhuman and monstrous even you know the good guys get. Mm-hmm. Oh no no, that's the easy part. Don't make me do this. It's all right. <laughs> Do it, Norman. Do it, Norman. Do it, Norman. But yeah, you just see how how these men have just turned into f-ing monsters, and you're and you can't help but thinking like 
is there a, any reason, like any good reason that this should be happening? Like, you know, is, th- is this worth it? Like even the thing that is like universally regarded as unnecessary thing, stopping the Nazis, is this really worth that? And, and, and I think like forcing you to forcing the audience to like really consider that question. Um, because, you know, something like that, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know if you guys have, you know, there's, there's videos on YouTube you can watch and, you know, there's kind of video footage, uh, f- recorded fairly recently, you know, past like 15 years of like World War II veterans, you know, just talking very frankly about, you know, Iwo Jima or D-Day or just, you know, some of the gnarliest meat grinders of that war. And it's just like, this should never happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just sort of when I like, uh, listen to these guys talk about, I just think this should just never happen. And, and, and there's just no good reason for this to occur. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of what, uh, war movies should sort of, should, should, uh, uh, should aim for. And I think, you know, I think the horror movie comparison is pretty apt, but I also think that like horror movies also kind of, uh, there's an aspect of horror movies that sort of go with what I was saying about action movies where you kind of understand that it's a fantasy you understand that it's not real and so seeing somebody get you know their heart ripped out and blood spray everywhere like that's fun because it's it's sort of a a cathartic sort of silly type of entertainment right and and uh so there's there's uh so you know there's certainly elements of horror movies that i of horror that i think goes into good war movies but i think also elements of just like very serious like kitchen sink drama you know and, and just like painstaking just realism and humanity which uh which which horror movies i think uh if they kind of dwell too much on uh i mean you have things like don't look now or whatever which are like very human and like almost to the point where it's like this isn't a horror movie this is a drama you know Mm -hmm. um but but i do think there's sort of an element to that right where it's like it's not um where you know war movies are almost kind of unique or at least good ones should be you know almost kind of unique in that way because it's this very unique sort of thing that 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 occurs this very unique phenomenon of war this crazy like you know thing <laughs> that uh just kind of merits a very sort of nuanced and and intricate kind of point of view to kind of portray in a way that i feel is the most emotionally impactful and just kind of the most mature and grown up you know um you can always tell when a war movie, uh, a bad war movie, you know, you can just tell when somebody has just like never seriously thought about like, what would I do in this situation? You know what I mean? And, and it's just like, <laughs> that's kind of how I felt with Siege of Jadoville. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one thing we, we we talk about a lot with this show is how different people will read it different ways. And kind of like you're saying, even with a horror movie, people will often take delight in entertainment. When I saw Saving Private Ryan and the soldiers are begging for mercy at the end of the D-Day mm-hmm. invasion and they get shot and the guy's like, he said, see, I watched for supper. Yeah. People in the audience like burst out laughing and i was like mortified mm. with that moment and it's yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. i yeah. think that the, the the greatest generation war is one where because it was so justifiable people will just take great delight in in yeah. you know so even if we we frame it that way it, it's just a really difficult question and it's a little on the yeah. nose but one of the things we primed you with in the pre-email was like do you think it's possible to make an anti-war movie in light of all of this or do you think that in any way however we make a war movie we're gonna in some way kind of glorify it profit off of it contribute mm-hmm. to the culture no i, th- I think th- i think that there is i think that uh yeah I, I i think you can sort of spiral you know add infinitum into kind of a into this feedback loop of like oh is it ever okay to do this thing you know and, and i think uh and i think i think it can i think if you just sort of you know um I think you can approach it with a certain, I mean, that's why I sort of come and see was what I thought of, you know, you can approach it in a certain way where there's just no reasonable person can misconstrue it otherwise, you know, and of course there are going to be idiots. And of course there's going to be those three people who are laughing in the theater, but, uh, uh, but you can't control everybody's reaction to your work. I mean, far from it, it's completely out of your control. Uh, you can't control people's interpretations of your work, nor should you be able to, you know what I mean? Uh, so um yeah i think you absolutely could uh, i just think it takes maturity and it takes uh um sort of just worldliness and and research and knowledge uh but i think you can absolutely make a, a good war movie and and um uh yeah so so you just can't control people's people's reactions you know i think i i agree with that i've been i've been saying i've been saying that same thing you know it's like the with the Truffaut quote when he's saying it's like well you can't there's no such thing as an anti-war movie i always say it's parenthetical to me i'm always going to find an explosion me Truffaut is always going to find an explosion yeah. and a man exploding and some bullets flying through bodies cool 
and I'm yeah. always going to find it exhilarating. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and and yeah, and Truffaut also. It's like you know, it's like come on, who's look who's talking? It's like that guy is like you know, any of the French New Wave people. It's just like it's like okay, you know what I mean? It's 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 sort of like all right, sit down, Truffaut, sit down, Godard. That's fine. I understand you think that. Uh, I mean, yeah, just like you look at the sorts of movies that they made, and and you sort of understand, you know, it's it's like. I mean, Breathless is, I mean, it's not, it's Godard, not Truffaut, but, you know, Breathless is about, like, a man and a woman <laughs> drinking coffee and smoking, and then one of them dies. You know, it's just like, it's like, okay. <laughs> but, like, uh, that's great. Sounds exhilarating. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> but, like, some of us want to make a movie where somebody's head explodes, and that's, you know. Um, In yeah. The introduction to the book, The Thin Red Line, that I have, I give this to a bunch of folks to kind of on this thread to see what they say. Francine Prose writes that this is a good movie for an example why movies will always fail because movies are always I, – I say it's the most profitable real estate on earth. Uh, unless you're just making a movie out of the kindness of your heart and re- willing to just hemorrhage cash, th- there's something that requires like yeah, some people do that, but they I do. Mean, you're, you're looking at you're looking at one of our guys do, currently I, I, I doing this that hypothetically, uh, knowing my guest, right? Like no, yeah, exactly, yeah, and, and I appreciate that you yeah. exist, but you are fairly exceptional in this equation, yeah. and I feel like the point is simply that. She says, when you read it on the page, it will always come off so flat, so dead, your imagination fills in those blanks, whereas movies are always going to have to, by definition, have to make it look good. They will have to make it look good, and I have not seen Come and See yet, and the the title is so captivating because yeah. it's like you don't you yeah, want to yeah, see yeah, and exactly. everyone's like no i'm yeah, good yeah. i'm good i don't want to know <laughs> no one wants to exactly. see it and so i feel like it's doing a good job but do you have any reaction to that argument in particular yeah so so i think it kind of depends on you know look good is such a subjective thing right like there can be beauty in disgustingness there can be you know what i mean like there, there can be aesthetic uh quality in something in ugliness and in in grossness and in something terrifying and horrifying and 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 awful uh so you know i think like um you know when you look at like something like uh uh mad max or whatever you know and and that's like a very dirty grimy uh a few movies but uh but there's sort of a beauty in that aesthetic right it's this iconic post-apocalyptic wasteland type of thing uh but it's not you know necessarily pretty to look at uh it's it's quite ugly and quite muted and 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 quite dusty and and just sort of oily and gross um so you know i yeah i think uh I mean, listen, you know, there's, I think a lot of this kind of it, it sort of goes beyond uh, filmmaking and, and, and cinematic language. And a, and a lot of it kind of comes back to just sort of human nature. And, um, and, and there are going to be people out there, uh, particularly men, who, uh, who, who have these kind of violent tendencies, right? And who just like, who, who are going to fantasize about killing people or whatever. Um, and a lot of that is like, you know, uh, it's kind of natural, right? It's not like super crazy, you know, that like you take this primate uh, that has lived by, you know, killing and scavenging uh, <laughs> and take it out of the African savanna and then put it in a suit and a tie and expect it to just be completely well behaved. You know, there is there is a reason why people go to war, right? In the right circumstances, in the right society, in the right culture, I think more of us than maybe we would want to admit would be like totally fine with like, murdering women and children you know uh if we somehow othered them uh you know what i mean so like and maybe this is just my dismal view of humanity but um uh but you know i think i think i think that's just gonna kind of be there right and and you can you can take as mature uh you the, the important thing is is when you're representing this stuff you take a mature and an informed approach to it and you don't just kind of go off half cocked and do it really nilly and just be irresponsible in the way you're portraying it because but that's ultimately like all you can do you can't control how other people are going to take it I, i've like dealt with this personally so many times like uh with just sort of like little i'll just include um little kind of representative or kind of metaphorical points or like satirical jokes that, that are like saying something. Uh, and people will take that same joke or that same metaphor uh, and they will interpret the complete opposite of what I meant. You know what I mean? And you just mm-hmm. like, that's not, I can't control that. So like why I shouldn't even worry about it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I think that, that war movies are, are pretty uh, 
uh, fascinating for this reason. And I definitely like see where you're, where you're coming from because, you know, of course, in filmmaking is pretty unique among uh, pretty much all other art forms and that it does have this this incredibly effective um, uh, propagandistic uh, sort of utility to it, right? Like it, it is, you know, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, the Soviets, uh, early Soviets were like, this is it. You know, like they really like, pioneered that in the 20s and 30s you know with their propaganda movies some of which are like genuinely awesome uh but you know they're they're uh they are propaganda right they're communist propaganda and they and they're and they're quite effective at that and and uh and it is like really you know just the way that you can portray perspectives and and direct an audience's focus to certain thing and things and juxtapose images uh to create meaning is uh unique to film and it is so like great to use when you're trying to like sell somebody something <laughs> i mean it's uh it's just like great at that uh so yeah i i, I definitely like while i i think i i don't necessarily um uh uh yeah well while i don't necessarily share your concerns i don't think aaron i, I do sort of see exactly where you're coming yeah because you're right it is like it, it's a it's a loaded gun right it's expensive. Paths of Glory bombed at the box office. I'm pretty sure that Come and See did not make a healthy return on its investment. <laughs> and I asked my students, you no, know. No, no. And in fact, the Soviet government uh, censored it. Yeah. I asked my students, if it's your 20 million, do you want to put it up yeah. to see if you can turn the tide of the culture war? Yeah. Or do you want to get Mark Wahlberg <laughs> in here and make back $150 million because the DOD is going to pay for everything? Yeah. Some PAO from the DOD going through your script with a, with a red pen. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> And, and you've yeah. Then you've got Captain Miller coming off the boat, you know, yelling "Charge!" with a the stogie yeah. in his mouth. Right, exactly. Right. Um, yeah. It's it's yeah. a loaded question. We, we we figured in Men in Black, it's like fifteen thousand dollars a second. Oh. Like as a filmmaker, I'm sure you know it's expensive. There's yeah. a lot of thought that goes into every yeah. Oh, yeah. single fraction of a second in a movie, yeah. and all art takes time and care. But cinema is this huge assemblage of that that has immediate, yeah. vivid power oh, for yeah. sure. Well, you know what? I would I would eventually like to have you back uh, when we've sometime next season, perhaps when you've uh, when you finished your your new production. Um, of course, I'm always wondering, and just I mean, there's probably not an answer to it, you know, because because the war movie is such a loaded gun. But there's also like action war movies, you know, like I love a Kelly's Heroes or a Guns of Navarone or something. But it's like. I haven't revisited them in a while, sure. at least not since this project yeah, started. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, we will, I guess, go back. But I, you cannot, I guess you can't control when it goes out. You know, it's like, are people smart enough to separate the two if it's a historical thing? I think those older movies hit different, too. Because, like, I mean, Bridge Over the River Kwai, right? I mean, one of the best movies ever made, right? Just, like, bar fucking none. That movie is, like, incredible. And, and, and... And it is an action movie, right? It's like, it's a thriller. It's highly suspenseful. Um, but it's, uh, and it's not, you know, a horror of war type of thing. But it is, um, uh, nor is it this like super overwrought, oh my God, how brave. Oh my God, you know, oh, how, mm -hmm. how glorious, how brave. Oh, like Gettysburg or God's Engine, like the Ron Maxwell uh, flicks. I mean, maybe it was because it was made within living memory of the events. And, you know, and, and the fair number of the actors, fair number of the crew, you know, saw their best friend turn to jelly, uh, right next to him and sort of had that experience. Right. So, but, but there's sort of a, there's a level of class and there's a level of maturity mm -hmm. in those sorts of movies, which are, you know, are not anti-war by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but are, you know, quite gritty and violent, um, and uh but they definitely have that kind of action flair and 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 there's a classness and a maturity to those older movies that like your lone survivor god we just watched that one yeah that movie sucks so fucking hard <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's it's just rah rah well, when you were talking like, about like lost cause previsionism it's so insulting it's like it was like 12 year old shit, you know what i mean it's like it's like preteen bullshit listen up red wings a go bad guy senior taliban commander sure killed 20 marines last week that's a lot more than 10 guys it's an army and like the fact that people like think that that is at all represents the real world is like truly like it, it truly saddens me it's based on a true story <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah exactly
it, we always like to ask this when we bring folks on. Is there anything that you're reading or watching that you wish more folks knew about just in terms of like what motivates you and what you create? Honestly, I've just been playing a load of video games recently. So, <laughs> If you need something to watch, check out Atonche Films <laughs> oh, hey, on there you YouTube go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because there you there's go. a ton of content on there that goes back some years. And I'm sure by now you've edited out the stuff that you hate. I mean, I, I got rid of videos that were like mean. You know what I mean? Like when, when no one was watching. Mm, mm-hmm. What are you playing right now? What games are you playing? Uh, so I, uh, speaking of war uh, and uh, an action movie, this is actually, this is a pretty apropos to our conversation, but I'm, uh, I've, I've been playing uh, Medal of Honor above and beyond on my, uh, on my Zuckerberg VR headset. Oh, I know this is the first time some of you will see combat. I know you're scared. Let me be clear with all of you. I'm scared too. And uh, and that's a very interesting game <laughs> because it's the documentary got awards. Have I got the mic on me yet? Yes. Do you remember your serial number? My serial number is three two nine zero five four four seven. How do you remember that? Well, I have a photograph of mine. What are these? Your family photos? Yeah. Yes. Uh, oh, the uh, yeah. I, I haven't watched it yet, but I but I I, I want okay. to. Yeah. It's like it's like actual vets talking, and it's like a VR experience. So I do want to like to to check that out. But um, uh, but yeah, I played through the campaign, and I've been doing some of the like side missions and stuff, and um, and it's fun, right? It's like it's like awesome World War II guns, and uh, you're just like slaughtering Nazis by the hundreds, and it's awesome, right? And you're an OSS agent, and you're like behind enemy lines, and you know, you got to go undercover and, and, uh, and, and, you know, put on the Wehrmacht uniform and get through the, the guy at the desk who's just like, mm, I have papers in order. And it's, it's just, uh, I mean, you know, the game is kind of mediocre, but like the, but the, the, the premise of just cool World War II guns and shooting things is like really cool. Um, but, uh, but in any case, it's sort of interesting because it does sort of like market itself as this, like, you know, step back in time and like, see history firsthand right it's a vr experience it's very immersive and you're you know it's like you're there in history when you put that headset on you feel like you're back in world war ii era europe it's a very surreal experience to be there without being there you're not watching history on a flat screen you're experiencing history with your own eyes we have the opportunity to sit down and interview combat veterans. But it's interesting because it's informed the campaign and the missions are informed much more by modern action movies than anything in World War II. Uh, there is a lot of Indiana Jones, which I love. Like, Indiana Jones is my shit. But, like, there's a lot of Indiana Jones in that uh, uh, in that game. A lot of, like, kind of cutesy, quippy moments of, like, you know, tickets, please. You know, no ticket. You know, that there's, like, that kind of shit. You know, you're, like, this badass, this American secret agent, and you're, like, owning Nazis. And it's cool, but it's, like, it's 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 12-year-old stuff. It's not, uh, it is, it's not a serious, like... Uh, and even the D-Day mission is like, you know, it's like, of course, you know, like the the uh, uh, a bomb goes off near you, uh, near you, and then uh, your headset goes, mm-hmm. and it's like, all right, all right, you know, it's just it's it's very movie, and you know, and and like you know, I just watched for supper, right? You know, I think was was isn't the uh, the actual line that that extra says in Saving Private Ryan? He's like, don't shoot me, I'm Polish, right? Or something like that. He's like, or he's like talking yeah, to Czech or something, because yeah. a lot of the the Wehrmacht soldiers uh, uh, in the Normandy campaign were conscripts from Eastern Europe. Uh, they were not German. They were not Nazis. Um, so, like, uh, I mean, they still f-ing, like killed Americans and British and Canadian. They still, you know, were like not the good guys, but still. Uh, but you know, of course, in Medal of Honor, everybody that you're killing is just like, you know, kill the Jews. You know, it's just like they're just so evil and like so Nazi, and and it's just like, oh well, yeah, of course, you know. But there's just like no nuance and like no moral ambiguity whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, and yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, yeah, it's just pretty cool. Um, I mean, that said, I had a lot of time murdering Nazis, uh, in, in VR, but how did uh, they make the come and see yeah, VR uh, where you're like, every time you take off the helmet, oh, man, you look at yeah. the VR helmet and you're like, <laughs> I don't want to play that. I don't want to go back to this. See, there is, <laughs> and there, who would ever buy it? <laughs> there's another game which, which actually, it's it's not it's not nearly that bad. But I, I am kind of having a, a similar kind of relationship with which is the uh, it's a, a Walking Dead VR game called Saints and Sinners, and it's set here in New Orleans. Mm. 
uh, and uh, and basically you're you're you know it's it's awesome. It's like Last of Us in, in VR. Uh, and uh, and you know so you have like a shitty revolver with three bullets and a screwdriver, and you have to like get through a bunch of zombies to like do a thing. Uh, and it's terrifying. It's like it's like incredibly scary. Yeah, that doesn't sound like fun to me. Yeah, that's the thing. And it's also you just kind of being in uh, in New Orleans, and it's like <laughs> okay, so I'm just like sneaking through the streets trying to keep a low profile and not get infected by a horrible sickness oh yeah well this is great escapism uh, <laughs> you know what i mean like oh yeah yeah yeah. it's like uh oh yeah it's really great to so different from the last two years of my life um so i like played the first it's a great game but i like played the first level and i was just like yeah you know i gotta be in the right frame of mind for this and I haven't come back to it, but yeah, I've been playing a lot of video games. Yeah, I've just been sitting there with the Kerbal Space Program. That's what I've been doing is just oh, blasting nice. myself <laughs> off the rock and being like, let's go yeah, somewhere right. far, far away. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, Andy Rakish is a New Orleans-based filmmaker and educator who runs the YouTube channel Atun Shea Films that covers a wide variety of topics and formats, but above all else, endeavors to present public history in a cinematic and irreverent way. Andy, thanks again for your time. We really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure. This has been Dirt Maps, a tributary to the Real War Project, a podcast about the narrative, affective, and production politics of war cinema. We want to thank Andy Rakich from Atune Che Films. If you want to find more Dirt Maps, just look for the Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L War Project, wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. Check out all the content brought to you by Redwood Sound Labs. Listen to the new show that will help you live a better life with your beloved pets. It handles topics like proper food, nutrition, positive reinforcement training, and more. Certified dog behavior consultant Charlotte Peltz welcomes your pet concerns and questions in Living With Your Dog. Zach and Matt are two veteran horror movie enthusiasts discussing their favorite and not-so-favorite films. Spoilers abound, so scary movie fans beware. Watch No Evil. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together, they explore the narrative, effective, and production politics of war cinema on The Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L, War Project. You can find all these shows wherever you find podcasts.